Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 143 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. I'm sweaty. <laughs> and my husband Dylan is the sound recordist. I'm not sweaty. Oh. Dylan's a liar. He's sweating somewhere on his body, I bet. <laughs> Why are you sweaty, Andrew? Because while this is a lovely place I'm in, um, I've had to sort of seal off the room I'm staying in to make it podcast appropriate, and it's become uh, a little bit like an oven. Are you deciding to write like one of these famous writers? Are you in like a like a closet cupboard. or a cupboard <laughs> or there some other enclosed space? No, I'm, I'm in a writer's group uh, for young playwrights in New York City, and every summer we have a summer retreat, and mm. it's really wonderful. Uh, we're up in beautiful upstate New York. Uh, this property is very beautiful with tons of little houses, but because of that, I've had to sort of find a way where I'm not disturbing the other writers in this little corner, and I've made it very warm for myself. Mm. <laughs> is this like silent writing time? Time? What are the other writers doing right now? Um, it's a free time to do with what you like. The whole idea is that you have space outside of your like typical New York City life to do whatever you need to do. Like most people will be writing, but a lot of people are just you know reading or relaxing. And uh, or, yeah, some are recording podcasts. Planning yeah. murders. That reminds me. There's this great <laughs> collection of short stories called "Her Body and Other Parties" by Carmen Maria Machado, uh, and there's a really creepy one about like kind of an artist retreat. And uh, things don't really go so pleasantly for the artists. So, well, that's almost certainly going to happen here. So, this could be my last <laughs> podcast. I don't know. That's set in a beautiful location, very remote. Uh oh. Um, I really like that author. And one quote I like, I followed her on Twitter. She wrote something like, Oh, hi, it's your queer aunt. I'm coming in a Subaru and I brought you books. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, that yeah. quote is funny. Her, her stories are scary. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Oh, speaking of scary stories, last night, guys, Dylan had to work. So I took myself out for a date to the movies, and this is going to tie back to scary stories. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how. Um, but at the at the movie theater online, all the tickets were taken except for this one seat. So I got that one seat, and I sit down. There's only one man in the row, and I'm like, please don't say my seat's next to him, and it's right next to him. So I <laughs> sit exactly next to him, and I'm like, please say that everybody else is showing up, and nobody else shows up. So I was like... Do I move to another seat? Does yes. that make it more awkward? Oh, I don't care. I, I would move. Or go to the row exact behind him and sit directly behind him. <laughs> I, I was about to move, and then I thought, oh, no, he could move, too. And maybe he'll, he'll think that I think he's weird. And so I ended up just being like, ah, and I just stayed. Oh, no. But it felt weird because we were like the only two people in the theater next to each other. Anyway. Were you seeing scary stories to tell in the dark? Yes, we were seeing oh. scary stories to tell in the dark. I've not seen the movie yet. I really want to. I, like many of our generation, was terrified by those books. Um, mostly, I have... My family, I have a lot of older cousins. And so they had a copies of those books. And I think I was probably like six or seven. And they would like show me the pictures and read me the stories. And they're so... Like to this day, those those illustrations creep me out. I wonder if it's the illustrations. Well, I re I recently reread it. It's funny. I, I forgot all about it. All the stories are like interactive stories. So it's like hmm. there's one where like someone's like missing their toe, right? Uh -huh. Like you, like they're digging up their garden and they find a toe and mm -hmm. they put it in the drawer or something. And then you hear it in the night, like someone, where's my toe? Mm -hmm. That's and, in the movie. So and so, but in if you're reading the book, you're supposed to be reading it to a child. You're okay. supposed to show them this horrifying picture. You're supposed to read the thing. Where's my toe? Where's my toe? And then the instruction in the book says, grab 
whoever you're reading this to grab their toe like and say, <laughs> here it is, like, it's you, you got it. <laughs> and it's like, what are you trying to do to children? Like That's so scary. Also, that story had the scariest picture in it, specifically the story for the toe. And it is this woman who has a skull and then has hair, and she's just staring straight at you. So you're flipping through the book, la la la, and all of a sudden there's a skull looking at you. And that lady is is in the movie. Um, Excellent. So, so would you say it's a good it's good to go see? Yeah. I think it's great. Like it's a it's a PG thirteen movie. It's meant for you know I'd say tweens. Yeah. So it's not all that scary, but the effects are really good. Like they look like the things from from yeah, the, cool. from the book. Speaking of the illustration, I remember reading about this uh a while ago do you know the new editions of the books don't have those illustrations anymore honestly that makes sense yeah and it's kind of lame we can post some of these later but they redid all the illustrations and they kind of look like a like young adult harry i'm reading harry potter harry potter like illustrations that aren't scary at all yeah they're just kind of basic well i mean (laughs) yeah basic yeah basic scary stories because the the original illustrations look like it was done by someone in a mental asylum they're crazy like the like the dripping and like the weird proportions and i mean i I really wanted to want to be in that meeting where the people are like okay so here are the illustrations i got for our Maybe, children's book maybe they were just afraid to tell him no yeah. <laughs> like, Seriously. it'll haunt you he didn't say a single word he just passed a folder across the table and stared <laughs> <laughs> he's like he like takes out a cup of grave dirt and drinks from it or something. <laughs> well if you like those stories growing up you should you should go see the movie it was fun but uh don't sit next to a random person in yeah. the movie theater. i can't say i i couldn't tell you that i enjoyed those stories growing up i just more like they made a large impression on me. Yeah. yeah. I I do really like scary things, and I don't know why, because I'm always terrified. But I guess I, I crave the adrenaline rush. Um, all right. Well, I do have a little bit of shame no. to report. This is only it's a single shame, which is um, I've been looking at all of the um, trailers for the upcoming movies for Oscar season, and I always go to the Telluride Film Festival and see a lot of movies there. And I was wondering worrying that the movie the goldfinch would be at telluride and i had always wanted to read that book so i purchased the book because i feel like i have to read it before the movie so that's a little mm. bit of shame but the goldfinch like is now on the list like that's the most justified shame you've <laughs> had yet i think that's actually a pretty good one. Oh, yeah. thanks okay all right well a little bit of shame not that much shame so this week on the podcast andrew had a book chosen from his shelf to review andrew what book did you have I had The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle by Haruki Murakami. Chirp, chirp, chirp. Chirp, chirp, chirp. I love this book. All right, Andrew, tell us about The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle. Oh, so a fun fact about this book for me. As I said on a previous podcast, it is a, a do not finish, did not finish um, for me. And to give you context as to uh, how long ago I started and still haven't gone back, the bookmark I was using uh, at about page 259, which is where I stopped, is a graduation card from my college tour guide office. Um, so it's been since at least 2012 since I picked this book up, which um, was alarming to see something from seven years ago that I totally forgot about sitting in that book. <laughs> so the book is about Toru Okada, uh, a recently unemployed man living with his wife in Tokyo as he tries to find his cat. The search for his cat becomes twisted and twisted and more twisted until he begins to question reality itself. 
drawn forward by a fracturing marriage, a wicked brother-in-law, and a host of odd people he meets along the way, Toru must navigate a new world that he doesn't recognize or understand while he loses touch with who he thought he was. That was excellent. That was very good. I would not have been able to do that off the top of my head, for sure. Y'all are so much better at doing log lines than me, so I had to (laughs) write it down to feel confident about it. Great work. I want to start with what I really liked about the book. So, first of all, it's really engrossing, um, and it has very original prose, and its storytelling is, like, fresh and not like anything I'd read before. And in particular, this comes out in how he writes about sort of the mundane day-to-day things, um, making the day-to-day world feel sort of somewhat magical or somewhat strange or finding a different angle than you would have thought or had ever looked at before at something that you see all the time. And that was a real highlight of the book, enough so that it was usually enough to string me forward throughout the throughout the journey. It wasn't always, but I want to give an example of a quote I really liked that sort of falls into the zone of a really well-described sort of mundane thing. In this case, it's baseball. And this happens, I want to be conscious that (laughs) this book is really hard to spoil, but if you don't want to know anything about the plot at all, don't listen for the next five seconds. So this happens on page 264, and it's the first time uh, Toro Okada goes down into the well. All right, so here's the quote. It's on page 264. I must have looked at my watch some 2,000 times since coming down here. Now it was 7.28 at night. That much was certain. At a ball game, it would be the bottom of the third or the top of the fourth. When I was a kid, I used to sit up high in the outfield stands and watch the summer day trying not to end. The sun had sunk below the western horizon, but the afterglow was still brilliant and beautiful. The stadium lights stretched their long shadows across the field as if to hint at something. First one and then another light would be turned on with the utmost caution shortly after the game got going. Still, there was enough light in the sky to read a newspaper by. The memory of the long day's glow remained at the door to keep the summer night from entering. And I just thought it was a very beautiful um, and very interesting description of something that, yeah, you wouldn't necessarily dedicate prose to usually, the lights coming on in a baseball game. Um, similarly, and I don't... If you can't tell from earlier when I said there was a well... That someone goes down this book is very strange very weird things happen throughout and a lot of it is delivered very matter-of-factly and that's i think a strength of the book and in particular i think um murakami is very good at describing odd or strange things sort of methodically and matter-of-factly that really adds a strength to the book um so here's an example of one this is on page 369 he is in the well again. Passage of time becomes increasingly unclear. Of all the kinds of time available to me here, I lose track of which kind I'm using. My consciousness goes gradually back into my flesh, and in turn the woman seems to be leaving. She leaves the room as quietly as she came in. The rustle of clothing, the shimmering smell of perfume, the sound of a door opening then closing. Part of my consciousness is still there as an empty house. At the same time, I am still here on this sofa as me. I think, what should I do now? I can't decide which one is reality. Little by little, the word here seems to split in two inside of me. I am here, but I am also here. Both seem equally real to me. Sitting on the sofa, I steep myself in this strange separation. And so I thought that was a really sort of simple and beautiful way of describing something that objectively is very strange, feeling like you're living in two places at once and sort of splitting mentally into those two locations. But the way he writes it, it's very simple, it's very beautiful, and it um, tells it in a way that's like, oh yes, I follow this strange logic you've set out. 
Toby, I know you really love this book, and I hate to do it, but I am going to move on to my cons. Oh, no. I'm very legitimate that people would have complaints or issues with certain aspects of his writing. So I'm interested to see what you say next. So I haven't said this earlier in the review, but this book is just over 600 pages. And so I sort of found the length of it a con because my experience of reading this book was sort of like being in a hot bath. It was really (laughs) pleasant, sort of letting the prose flow around me. But when it comes down to it, how long can you actually stay in a bath? (laughs) I don't know that I could stay comfortably 600 pages in this bath. And so I sort of found myself, especially in the second half, sort of dragging through. Um, Whereas earlier in the book, I was really excited and drawn forward by it. I think right around the time, actually, that I stopped when I first started reading this book, uh, I found my attention flagging and it became more of a thing that I had to sort of get through versus something that was really pulling me along forward. Um, Another thing... As I said, a lot of weird things happen, and they get progressively stranger, and everyone seems to sort of accept them as they happen, usually. But not every weird twist felt as earned or addressed, ultimately. So sometimes I felt, sort of in the end, that he was just sort of throwing a lot of weird things at me and not really giving me an opportunity to um, address them or see how they fit in the larger context of the book which I found ultimately sort of frustrating. Another thing is, while I overall really liked the prose, sometimes it felt overly clinical to me, um, especially in dealing with some of the romantic or sexual scenes, which was a little off-putting. I sometimes, especially in those scenes, sort of sat back and was like, this is a little uncomfortable. If that was intentional, you did a good job making me uncomfortable. And what all this sort of leads to ultimately is that I didn't feel the book, like, wholly came together because it's 600 pages of sort of weird things navigating and labyrinthian passages and cool stuff happening, scary stuff happening, big thoughts coming out. But then ultimately, I didn't feel like it came together into a satisfying ending. Not to spoil anything, but I sort of felt that the ending was sort of tacked on at the end and all of a sudden it ended and nothing was really resolved. Or if it was resolved, it was resolved like really quickly without really giving us as a reader time to understand why that meant it was resolved. So I found myself putting down the book after this like 600 page bath, as I said, and feeling ultimately like, huh, well, that's over. (laughs) I think I may be sounding a little harsh because I would, based on this, really like to read more of his work. I think maybe what I would want to do next is start with a shorter one, something that I feel less daunted by, because I think that was a lot of sort of my issues with it was just, I felt this one starting to drag. This is not like a shocking revelation because these are most his most popular books, but you enjoy Kafka on the Shore or Norwegian Wood. Both of those are much shorter and both very excellent. I think I liked uh, Norwegian Wood a little bit better. Well, this is normally the part where I would ask if you would keep this on your shelf and how many stars you'd give it, but I have a surprise. Surprise! This book was also on my to-read list, and I finished Wilder Girls really early, and I just kept thinking, if I don't read it now, I'm never going to read it. (laughs) So I also read The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle by Haruki Murakami. Mm. You're a monster, Bailey. Wow. (laughs) I don't want to steal your review, though, so I just want to chime in and say that everything I wrote down to say about this book is what you just said. (laughs) At first, I was really into it, and I was liking, like you said, like sort of the warmth of the bath and the weirdness. And then once I got to the second half, I got a little bit tired of it, and it felt like it didn't come together as much. It felt even more disjointed and moved slower. And then in the end, it just felt all of a sudden wrapped up, and I was like, what just happened? Um... So I I completely agree. I wonder if we gave it the same amount of stars. 
I guess we could figure it out by saying it at the same time. Okay. All right. All right. Three, two, one. Three. Three. Oh. Oh. Three stars. This bordered on a three and a half for me because I did really like the writing style and I liked a lot of the elements of the book, but ultimately the things I outlined and sort of the negative side of my review brought it, and I think I have to stick with three as my as my star rating. Sorry, Toby. Yeah, like uh, the first half, I was like, this is going to be a four star for me, and then honestly, he got in the well, and it just started to lose. The well is the best part. Not really so much the well, but like once he gets out of the well, it starts to, I don't know. Yeah. There's still like 300 more pages. Yeah. Ugh. There's also, also in the second half, a lot of it talks about um, Japan during World War II mm-hmm. and the Soviet war crimes. And I just was like, what does this have to... I just want to know more if the cat's going to come back and where's his wife. And yeah, I think it started to get, like you said, weirder and weirder and weirder until it's like weirdness for weird sake. I don't usually um, jump in on the end of your guys' reviews, but because I love Murakami so much and this book in particular, I do have a short like thing to say about Murakami in general. Okay. If you are a person who has not met Red Murakami and is interested in reading him, please don't start with a Wind Up Bird Chronicle unless you're really gung-ho. Start with Kafka on the Shore or Norwegian Wood. Much shorter, much more plot-driven, but still very weird. The thing that I love about Murakami and that will keep me coming back, I will read, I've read most of his books, I will end up reading them all, read them until he dies, whatever. It's a complete different experience for me reading a book because it is, it's like taking a bath if I had taken LSD before I took a bath <laughs> and you just kind of let go of everything you think you know about reading books. Mm-hmm. So if you approach it with the, you know, okay, there's a plot, but you just can't hold on too tightly to the plot. You just let it kind of disjoint you. And, and Murakami works best when you read him for like two or three hours at a stretch. Yeah. But that's when you can really sink in and, and the language gets so hypnotic and strange and it just will change. It is, it's like a strange form of meditation where if you read his books, his really good ones for long enough, the rest of your day will be different. It will, you will feel like you are on some kind of weird substance. I, I agree with you. I totally understand what you're saying. I think I'm going to piggyback off Andrew, though. It was something about being 600 pages of that. Yeah. It so, just felt like too much. So that so for me, like I, I was advised by someone who had read a lot of, of Murakami about that fact. He mm-hmm. was like, you know, don't hold on to the plot, plot too tightly. And, and he was basically like, search for that feeling of like meditativeness mm-hmm. and just like how it makes you feel. And so that's why I loved it so much is because I was ready for it. I was just like, okay great more weirdness like it because the first half is more plot driven and is more like okay it's kind of easing you in Mm -hmm. and then when you kind of have learned how to absorb the book if you enjoy it then the second half pulls you deeper down into this disjointed strange thought pattern yeah exactly and the well is like when he gets when he gets in there like what a boring thing to sound you know oh my gosh a character goes in a well for a really long time why would i want to read a book about that to me, that's the most interesting part because it gets so strange and it just, ah, oh, I love it. Anyway, so that's my thing about Murakami. Well, still three stars, <laughs> but I uh, definitely want to check out more of his work. I feel bad and I, I wish I liked this more. I was going to say, if you, if you really like Murakami, you can go for the hero, you can go for the hero read and try to read 1Q84, which is a four part book that you can read in one go like I did. Was, I think it's 1,300, 1,200 pages. Wow. It's a good one. Well, Toby, do you have any facts on your best friend, Haruki Murakami? Yes, I do. 
Um, so Murakami um, has been called, and I think is still being called, uh, Japan's most popular novelist. Um, he was born um, January 12, 1949. He's 70 years old. He's won many, many awards. The World Fantasy Award, Frank O'Connor, International Short Story Award, Award the Franz Kafka Prize, and the Jerusalem Prize. Um, his work gets compared... Not directly to Franz Kafka a lot, but kind of indirectly because there's a lot of some uh, similar themes of kind of isolation, loneliness, um, surrealism, and kind of some of elements of fatalism in some of his stories. So if you like Kafka, definitely check out Murakami. So he was born in Kyoto, Japan, just after um, World War II, uh, and he was raised in Shukugawa, Ashiya, and Kobe. Um, he is an only child, and his uh, father was the son of a Buddhist priest, and his mother was the daughter of an Osaka merchant. And they both were very into Japanese literature. Hmm. So he grew up not only reading a lot of classic Japanese literature, but he also uh, read widely uh, Russian and English authors. And definitely you can kind of feel the melding of these two influences in his work, which is why I think it's very popular other places in the world. There's a lot of very popular Japanese authors that are only popular in Japan. He studied drama at the Waseda University in Tokyo, where he met Yoko, his wife. Uh, his first job was at a record store, and after he finished his studies, he opened a coffee house and a jazz bar, Peter Cat, uh, in Tokyo. And he ran it for, uh, with his wife from 1974 to 1981. So it's a really interesting story that I kind of just know from reading about him, um, is that he wrote all of his first books while running the jazz bar cafe full-time. So he would wow. do everything he needed to do to run a bar and cafe, which is a ton of work, and then stay up five, six hours a night writing. So he's a very serious, very hardcore person. Uh, related to that, um, he's a very serious marathon runner and triathlon enthusiast. He completed uh, his first ultra marathon in June 1996. It's a 100-kilometer race around Lake Saroma in Hokkaido, Japan. There's a really good book by him called What I Talk About When I Talk About Running. Um, that's all about marathons and running. And if you like Murakami, if you like a real deep dive into it, I, I recommend that one. It's really good. Murakami began to write fiction when he was 29. Um, before that, quote, he said, I didn't write anything. I was just one of those ordinary people. I was running a jazz club and I didn't create anything at all. So this, I mean, he sounds like a strange dude. He was inspired to write his first novel, Hear the Wind Sing, in 1979 while watching a baseball game. He was in Jinju Stadium watching a game between the Yakult Swallows and the Hiroshima Carp <laughs> when Dave Hilton, an American, came to bat. According to an oft-repeated story, in an instant that Hilton hit a double, Murakami suddenly realized he could write a novel. He described the feeling as a, quote, warm sensation he could feel in his heart. Uh, he went home and began writing that night. Uh, he worked on Hear the Wind Sing for 10 months and completed the novel and sent it to the only literary contest that would accept a work of that length, winning first prize. He seems like a, a very strange guy. Not, not super strange, but an interesting guy. He's a bit of a recluse. He doesn't do a ton of interviews. Um, his early books, he said, originated in an individual darkness, while his later works tap into the darkness found in society and history. And that is found in things like the Wanda Bird Chronicle you mentioned. There's, um, you know, mentions of World War II and the Japanese and, you know, Russian relations. And that's a lot of his later books delve into a lot of that stuff. So the story about the baseball just makes me think of him as like a superhero, like a superhero origin story. Like instead of being bitten by a radioactive spider, he, he watched just, a guy hit a double. And he's like, all right, well, I'm a weird novelist now. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, what that story leaves out is that everyone in the stadium became a novelist, but only Murakami was good enough to win the first prize. <laughs> and it was Joyce Carol Oates at bat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
that's yeah. great. Well, excellent facts, Toby. Thank you. Yeah, um, he's he's a very interesting dude. That if you want to do more research on him, you only find weirder and weirder stuff. Just go deeper, deeper into that well. Yeah. All right. Well, this week I had an exciting book to read from my list. It is Wilder Girls by Rory Power. This book is about um, a disease that takes over a remote island in Maine, um, and the disease will affect different people in different ways. It could either kill you or sort of transform you in different creepy ways where the natural makeup of the island becomes a part of you like some girls develop gills some girls um, develop scales this sort of thing and on this island there is a school for girls called the Raxter School for Girls so it follows this insular community of students who are still alive and the few teachers who are still alive on the island who are dealing with this talks and it happened a while ago right like the talks like Yes. The events of the books are like a year or so after the talks yeah. infects them or whatever. Right, exactly. Some time has passed. They've gotten to the point where they're used to this world. They're even like, I can't even remember what life was like before almost. Mm-hmm. All right. So there's so many things about this book that I knew that I would like. It takes place on an island in Maine. I grew up on an island in Maine, so I'm already interested in the setting. I'm always interested in YA books, coming of age books, and I'm interested in relationships between women like female friendships especially at this intense um, time when you're a teenager Um, and I I do really like the creepiness the body horror-ness of it so I was on board from the beginning so it really reminded me of Jeff Vandermeer because it has so much of the natural world combined with this otherworldliness where it's just just weird enough just scary enough to really grip you I had a quote, so I can give you a sense of that. On page 60, the talks didn't just happen to us, it happened to everything. Before the quarantine, it wasn't like this. The animals felt practically tame, even if we did get lectures about storing food properly to keep it from them. And the woods felt different, felt like they were ours. Pines growing in ranks, but the soil so thin and their trunks like needles, so that if you stood in the right place, you could pretty much see from one end of the island to the other. You never forgot the ocean because the air was always tangy with salt. Here in the thickness, you only get a spark of it now and then. The way it happened is that the woods got it first. That's what I think anyway. Even before the wilderness reached inside us, it was seeping into the earth. The trees were growing taller, new saplings springing up faster than they had any right to. And it was fine, it was nothing worth noticing, until I looked out the window and couldn't see the rackster I knew anymore. That morning, two girls tore each other's hair out over breakfast with an animal viciousness, and by the afternoon, the tox had hit us. Ooh, that's a really good one. Yeah. Um, I also really loved the ambiguity of it because it's in such an insular place. There aren't a lot of answers about like what the whole world is like, what the ramifications are, why this happened, but it feels really believable. And that's, it ends exactly the way I wanted it to end with just enough answers to keep you hooked. Nice. So I'm giving this book four stars. I recommend it to anybody who likes YA, who likes body horror, um, and who likes creepy covers. It has a terrifying cover, like we said last podcast. You should definitely check it out. So cool. Looking at it right now. Um, All right, so guys, very exciting. This week, we have our first author on the podcast. I I did a little short interview with Rory Power, the author of Wilder Girls. So instead of facts, I'm gonna play the interview in a second. But just to introduce Rory to you guys, uh, Rory Power grew up in Boston. 
Um, she studied at, at Middlebury College and then went on to earn her master's in prose fiction from the University of East Anglia. She lives in Massachusetts. This is her first novel. Um, when she's not writing, she also is an editor of crime fiction, and she works as a story consultant for adapting books to film. Cool. All right, so here is the interview with Rory. Hi, Rory. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you guys so much for having me. So my first question is, I love the book, and I just wondered what inspired you to write Wilder Girls? Uh, I think a lot, I mean, a lot of things, but the the kind of like seed of it all was I took a trip, and I think it was 2015, which feels like a very long time ago now. Um, I went to an island off the coast of North Carolina called Harper's Island. Uh, I was visiting a family friend, and they had an amazing house, and I got there and was just like, I would like to steal this for a book. I don't know what the book is, but I'm going to take it. Thank you. Um, and it, I kept it. Uh, eventually, we, we moved it. it but the book was originally set in the Outer Banks, mm-hmm. but we needed it to be colder. So I moved <laughs> it north. That was the whole reasoning. Um, so yeah, it didn't stick there, but that was the kernel for the island and the school and everything like that. Awesome. And and you had a character named Harker, right? Yeah, I felt like I wanted to throw in a little something <laughs> just <laughs> to awesome. remind myself. <laughs> uh, and I know that you're from Massachusetts. Is that why yes. you, you said it in Maine particularly? Or what made you choose Maine? Because I'm from Maine. So that's why I wondered. Uh, so I just basically went as far north as I could without having to deal with Canada. <laughs> um, and I did a lot of looking at the uh, Great Wasp Island Preserve, which is the natural vibe that I wanted it to have of the landscape and everything. Um, and it's also like close enough that theoretically somebody could get there if they needed to, or there could be a military base there if there needed to be. It's not right. too far away, but it's still like far enough that if they were going to yell for help, nobody was going to hear them. <laughs> so that's why I went with Maine. <laughs> I love it. I, I grew up on an island and we'd watch this ferry go back and forth all the time to the island that was across from us. There it is. And there we go. And <laughs> I was like, oh, this is so real. <laughs> um, I loved all your characters. What is your process for coming up with a character? It's kind of, I feel like I should have a better one. I feel like mostly... I developed them in reaction to a lot of things with the with the book. Like I knew I wanted somebody who knew a lot of things about the island. And that's where Reese really came from. Mm-hmm. But I also knew that I didn't want that information readily accessible. <laughs> so she had to be like really closed off. Uh-huh. Um, so I think that's how I arrive at different characters is just kind of in reaction to what I need them to be for the story or for as a vehicle to get to something else. Mm-hmm. Um and then they kind of develop and develop. But like in the first draft, it's very like mechanical in that like I need someone who's going to go outside the fence. So I'm going to have a girl who lost her best friend and who is very codependent. And right, needs right. To go get her. <laughs> yeah, you, you portrayed female friendships, especially at that age so well, where you're like you said, so codependent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think it's healthy by any means, but also like it's what it is. So. <laughs> It, it just feels very relatable. Like I remember my best friend from high school. It's like, yeah, I probably would have done the same thing. I don't know if it's healthy, right. but yeah. <laughs> we, did, get, we grow out of it. Yeah. We're fine. Uh, did you have a certain book or a series of books that made you want to become a reader or a writer? Yeah, um, there were two. <laughs> the first, there was like the beginner and then the like intermediate. Okay. And the first, the first books that I ever like loved, loved, loved that made me want to write my own were the Redwall series. Oh, I just, I wrote knockoff versions of them when I was nine. I just loved them. I don't know what it was. I think it was the scope of this world that he built, but like, 
there was such a through line, especially with the early books with this one like tragic little mouse. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I just loved them. And then as I got older, um, I started to read Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan, which I don't know that I would like really recommend. I feel like looking back at it, I realized there's a lot of weird sexism stuff going mm-hmm. on and also like probably some weird othering. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Like, okay, Robert. <laughs> that often happens with those old sci-fi books. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're not going to read them again. But, <laughs> but they were just like, they completely captivated me. And there were so many of them too, that I could just live there, mm-hmm. basically. <laughs> That's awesome. Those are great answers. I actually have Red Wall on my to read list. I haven't read it. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's another one that I can never read again because I'm I'm nervous. Like what if what if the mice don't hold up? <laughs> Your book also really reminded me. I saw in the back that Jeff Vandermeer wrote a, a little blurb for you. It really reminded yeah. me of the Area X series. He um I so I had written a first draft of Wilder Girls and I didn't really know what it was. It was a mess. I just hadn't figured out like how to organize it into a story. Mm-hmm. And then I read Annihilation and I was like, I didn't know that you could just like focus on one thing mm-hmm. that closely. Like it's just one expedition. He makes all these references to other ones too, but it's so narrow. And I just I had no idea that you could do that. Which yeah. Is, like clearly looking back, I just didn't know. So I went back to my own book and was like, I don't have to care about things that aren't here on this island. I can just care about this. It completely just changed the way I thought about the book. And I wound up meeting him. And wow, I'm going to say we're friends. Jeff, if you hear this, we're friends. (laughs) Um, But I just like I admire his writing so much. And it was so cool that he agreed to read the book. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, I think both of your books have this natural horror to it like this body horror this nature yeah that's my favorite kind (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right so then my last question is on our podcast we talk about the books that we've bought that we haven't read yet which we call our Mm -hmm. to read lists do you have anything like that do you have a to read list yes (laughs) it's very large um well actually you'll know better than I do how this fits into the general spread of data but Mm -hmm. it's I I counted the other day it was like 60 ish books Okay, that's actually, I mean, I have 140, so... Oh, I'm feeling better. <laughs> do you have, like, a book-buying problem like I do, or do you, they just, like, naturally pile up? They, It's natural, but it's also, like, I'll buy, like, a friend's book, and it'll it'll sit there, and I'll be, like... I'm a very, like, mood reader person, mm-hmm. so I have to be in the right mood, and those are rare. <laughs> the, the matchup between the book and the mood is not always ideal, Um so that and then also I'm a sucker for a good cover. I'll just buy anything. I will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm exactly who they're aiming it at. That's me. Wilder Girls has such an incredible cover and Bookstagram is loving it. How did that come about, the cover? They did an amazing job. I, I had nothing to, like, nothing <laughs> to do with it. And I, it was actually really cool. I'd followed that artist on Instagram, Ekode um, Dogdu. I'd followed him for like a year before that. And they, then they sent me this image and they were like, what do you think? And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I love it. I have nothing to say. <laughs> Don't ever listen to me. I'm not very good at visual stuff. So I just let them do what they were going to do. And it was amazing. Well, it's awesome. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast just for a brief interview. And I want to recommend the book to everybody, especially <laughs> those who like creepy body horror. <laughs> Yes, there's plenty to be found. (laughs) (laughs) All right, great. Thanks, Rory. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, cool. I feel so honored and like, I feel so cool to have an author on our podcast. It feels like very unreal to me. Yeah. 
Absolutely, yeah, it's really cool. Especially since Murakami has returned our emails. <laughs> <laughs> he actually did return my email, but he did it through the post office, and he just sent me an empty box. <laughs> and then I climbed inside, and I lived there. Um, uh, Toby, were you excited to hear Rory's books that influenced her? Yeah, that's so crazy. So I, I'm going to agree with her 100% with Redwall. It's the best series ever. And um, I don't know if she will listen to this podcast, but it holds up, Rory. Redwall? Yeah. Yes, it holds up. Great. I, I, like I, I think I mentioned on an earlier podcast, I reread like a random Redwall book earlier. They're still so good. They're so good. They're incredibly violent for children's books, but I like that. So, and apparently, I think Roy Power probably does too, because Wild <laughs> Girls sounds like it's got some, you know, stuff in it as well. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's crazy that um, she loved the Wheel of Time so much, because that's what I'm working through right now. Um, and I won't say anything else about about it, because that's next episode. Yeah, next episode. What is it called? The Eye of the World. Uh, yes. That's, that's the first in the series. Cool. It's so crazy that those books just came up for us recently. I know. Well, thanks again to Rory Power for being our first author guest. And everyone should go pick up this book, Four Stars. Keep yes. it on the shelf. Yes. yes. All right, Andrew, do you have a game for us? Yes, I do have a game this week. And the game this week is going to be called A Cat Attack. <laughs> so All right. I like it. The reason we have Rory Power on the show today is because uh, Jillian actually knows her from college. They went to Middlebury together. And Middlebury's mascot is a panther. And also the central events of the Wind Up Bird Chronicles surround Toru Okada looking for his cat. So we're going to be living in the cat world for this game. This is a reach, but I love it. Yeah. (laughs) So the way this game works is I have a list of different kinds of big cats, and I am going to read a sentence where the first letter of each word in the sentence spells out the name of that sort of cat. For instance, using a very simple example, if I said, catch a toe, that would be cat because it's C-A. Everyone get it? Yes. So these questions are free for all. Whoever yells at first gets it right. I have seven of them, so it is first to four. All right? Meow. Very exciting. Now let's play a cat attack. Here's number one. Put up my arms. Puma. Toby gets one point. Good job, Toby. (laughs) Oh, it's the first letter. Okay. Uh, Cat attack. You just got got cat attack. All right. I got it. All right. Tim, I've got eight rocks. Tiger. That's right. Bailey. Well done. So the score is tied one to one. Good job to both of you so far. All right. Here's number three. Gets a little harder here. Or could Ethan look over there? Could you say that one again? Ocelot. Oh, there we go. He said four. Could he? Oh, no. (laughs) Cat attacked. No. Well done. All right. Moving right along to number four. Look, enough other people are rocking dungarees. Liger? No. Leopard. Oh. This is a spelling thing. Yeah. We're finding out how well this aspect of my brain works. (laughs) Toby, Bailey is leaving you in the dust. (laughs) Number five. Come here, Eddie. Eat the awful hen. Cheetah. Ah. That's right, Toby. Good Mm. job, Toby. I feel like you knew that one and you didn't say it. I got as far as cheat and I was about to say it. Mm. Mm. Because you got cat attacked. (laughs) All right. Here's number six. Could a random animal come around later? Carousel? Or how do you yeah. say it? Caracal. Car- oh, yeah. oh, well, Toby said it correct first. Okay, yeah, Toby can have it. Thanks. <laughs> we, can't atta- we can't attack each other. No, yeah, yeah. I, it's one of those words that I've never said out loud. Caracal? I've only read. Caracal? Bailey, I probably should have given you that answer, but Toby did say it correctly first, and this lets us have a tiebreak winner takes all in the seventh question, so I'm oh, into snap. that. Okay, yeah. nice. 
All right, Bailey and Toby are tied 3-3. Okay. Number seven. Look, Ian, Owen's nude. Lion. Oh, there you right go, there. Bailey. I was right there. <laughs> Bailey is the queen of the cats Aww. and Yay! wins the game a cat attack. Cat attack. Meow. All right, so now's the time in the podcast where Dylan chooses books at random from our shelves to read. It is The Choosening. The Choosening. I am just so excited. A little inside baseball on the podcast because of sort of recording times and guest episodes. It's been like six weeks since I've had a new book assigned to me. So I feel like like I'm kind of coming back to school, but like in an exciting way. I feel the same way. I'm excited. Andrew, is there any books you want? I am just excited that I've gotten through the two DNFs that I had on my list in the last two ones. So I'm excited for something that I truly know nothing about going into. All right. Well, that would be number 12, Bossy Pants by Tina Fey. Oh. oh. That's exciting. This is entirely a departure from everything else I've read on this podcast. So this is going to be really fun. I've read that one. I think it'll be fun and short and yeah. short and sweet. Easy peasy. I haven't read it yet, but it's supposed to be good, right? Yeah. I liked it. Nice. Which brings us to Bailey, number 97, Red Tent by Anita Diamant. Diamant? Diamant. Diamant. Okay. This one is one of the ones that has been on my shelf for the longest time. My mm. dad gave it to me when I was maybe in high school. Oh, wow. So a long time. It's set like during biblical times. And my understanding is it's about the tent where women would go when they had their period back at the time. Wow. Um, and I don't know. I don't know why I never read it, but a lot of people really love it. I know very little about this book, but I know people think very highly of it. Yeah. I have not heard of it. I can see why you wouldn't read it. It doesn't sound like a super gripping. It's not like, I can't wait to read the biblical period book. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, we'll see how it goes. So, Ooh, all right. So next week on the podcast, we will have a mini-sode. Um, the mini-sode is going to be two quizzes. Dylan takes a very easy Harry Potter quiz, and Andrew takes a very hard Harry Potter quiz, and we'll see who does better. And Bailey and Toby don't have to be intellectually tested at all. Exactly, because we usually are. <laughs> um, so tune in if you like that. If you just like the reviews, tune in in two weeks. Toby will be covering Eye of the World by Robert Jordan, and I'll be covering The Red Tent by Anita Diamant. And then Andrew will have Bossy Pants by Tina Fey coming on down the line. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the To Read List podcast. We're on Facebook and Instagram at the To Read List podcast and on Twitter at To Read List pod. And if you enjoy this podcast, please go on iTunes or whatever service you use to listen to it and rate us uh, and review us. It really helps us spread the podcast and uh, it makes us feel good as well. And if... After, not if, after you have rated and reviewed us on your podcast platform of choice, if you have a friend or a colleague or really anyone in the world who you know likes books, feel free to tell them about us because word of mouth is the best way for us to find new listeners. And, you know, every once in a while, a book nerd needs to talk to another book nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to Rory Power, to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you next week. Happy reading. Books, books, books. books, books. books. books.